How y'all doing this morning? All good? Hope so. Praise the Lord. Not snowing, so it's all nice, isn't it? Amen. Well, you got your Bibles? I want you to take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And um, just want to talk about preaching for a moment and uh, look at the scripture and let it inform us about preaching and, and teaching. I'm calling this sermon How to Preach Powerfully. It could be Prescription for Powerful Preaching, all kinds of different titles, but it's just about what makes preaching powerful. And let me just go ahead and say, first of all, what it isn't. It isn't a charming, charismatic personality. That should be obvious to you by now. If you have not learned anything else from me, hopefully you have learned that, right? So two men broke into a photography store on a Sunday night. They, this is a true story. They murdered the owner and, of course, emptied the cash drawer. The two men were caught eventually. They apprehended and they were charged with murder and their names made the headlines in the local newspaper. The church secretary saw the names of these young men and they seemed vaguely familiar to her but she could not quite put her finger on where she knew them from so she began to do a little research and sure enough there were their names in the guest registration on that Sunday morning the very Sunday that they committed murder they were in church that Sunday morning the pastor's sermon Subject and topic for the morning was an educated ministry. If only the pastor had followed Paul's instructions here on preaching, perhaps the outcome in the lives of these young men would have been different. Every time a pastor stands in the pulpit, he dangles between heaven and earth. And his attempt is not to just inform people, but it is to connect their hand into the hand of God through the preaching of the word. And so when we choose to do something else with the pulpit other than that, we find that people are not helped. They are not changed. Remember in Corinth, this city... It was a city of speech enthusiasts. Now that is weird to us, I know. But for them, public speaking had become a sport. I know it's odd, but if you can think of it in this way, these rhetoricians were similar to what we would say music stars. You get the idea. They were popular everywhere they went. And so if you were good at it, you were famous and you were well known. And so when the church was born in this city, in the city of Corinth, the members there tried to apply the pastime and hobby of Corinth to the preachers of the gospel who preached in their pulpit. If only he would speak like so-and-so, if only he had the charm of so-and-so, and all of these things. Their thought was on the human personality and upon the technique of the speaking rather than upon the message. They allowed those things to overshadow the message. 
They were enamored with those who had star status, but they were not attentive to the one who is the bright and morning star. It's easy to happen, isn't it? It's easy for those things to happen. It's not a sin of any, any person. It's, I'm not denigrating or downplaying anyone. Okay, I'm, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about human nature. And human nature is such that if I would have announced yesterday or last week that let's say Dr. David Jeremiah was going to preach here this Sunday, I would say the place would be filled. Or if I said Big Mac, Johnny Mac, John MacArthur was going to be preaching, I would say we would have to bring out chairs. Now, I'm, again, I'm, I'm not a crybaby. I'm, I'm thrilled. I have no idea why you people are here, actually, to hear me preach. I, so I, I'm not, but I'm just talking about human nature. We have a tendency to be attracted to the personality rather than the message of the gospel. And we have to be careful about that. Each one of us has our favorite preachers. I'm mine. <laughs> and so the rest of you had to figure out who yours would be. But, but no, we all have. I'm, that is a joke a little bit. But we, we all have our favorite preachers, right? We have. And, I, and you know, I've heard great ones. And, and um, we all have our favorites. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, certainly, I wouldn't compare myself to some of those other guys that are just have better skill. But we must not lose sight of this fact that it's not about pursuing the personality. It's about pursuing the message of the gospel and the preaching of the word of God. Now, so here's what Paul says. What is powerful preaching? What is it really? And how dependent is it upon the charisma of the speaker? And so here's what Paul says. First of all, he gives the church, this is the method of powerful preaching. In verse 1, he says, And when I came to you, brothers, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Now, in this one verse, he gives us the method of preaching. First of all, the method is to announce the message of eternity and he says he did come to them proclaiming the testimony of God he, he in this first verse he doesn't say I didn't come to you proclaiming the testimony of God that's not what he's saying he did come proclaiming the testimony of God never ever be afraid to preach on the topics that no one wants to hear the topics that people do not want to hear is that there is a God who is greater than them they don't want to hear the message that there is a God who requires something of us. That he is a holy God. He tolerates zero of our sin. He hates our sin. He is angry with sinners who are rebelling against him. And he is going to do something about it. No one wants to hear that we are depraved. That we are corrupted at heart from birth. And that we cannot fix ourselves. You can go to a psychiatrist all that you want to. You can get drugged up if you want so that you don't have to think about these things. Or you can let him tell you that it's your daddy's fault. That's all psychiatry can do. They can't solve the problem of your soul. But no one wants to hear that. 
They want to hear something is wrong with everyone else and I'm the victim of everyone else's messed up world. That's not the truth. You are a contributor to this messed up world. And no one wants to hear those things. We don't want to hear the deep things of God. We don't want to concentrate on those things. We don't want to think over them. We, we don't like doing those things because it's not very self-centered to talk about God. But Paul says, if the preaching is going to be powerful, you don't take into consideration what people think they need to hear. Instead, you preach and announce the message of eternity. Secondly, he tells us what not to do. He says to avoid, if you're going to have powerful preaching, the method has to be this. You must avoid the means of humanity. Mere human means. He says not with lofty speech or wisdom. Now, wisdom here means mere human cleverness. Using human cleverness. Paul is not an anti-intellectual. He's not pushing for ignorance as a virtue. I grew up in a culture in which if you had any theological education, you probably were going to hell. That the more stupid you were, the better preacher you would be because you'd just be letting the Holy Ghost do it. Well, I, you know, as a boy and as I grew up as a teenager, I thought to myself, the Holy Ghost doesn't know much because I keep hearing the same thing over and over every Sunday. This man doesn't know how to open a book and teach anybody. Why? Because he was lazy. He's lazy. So Paul's, Paul was highly educated. He's not saying that. And he's going to go into this chapter and say, but I do preach wisdom. It's the wisdom of Christ. So he's not, he's not saying the more ignorant you are. But what he is saying is this. He's saying that we must condemn the thought that human talent and human means would be the keys to successful preaching. There are a lot of talented speakers out there. And they could take the Bible and they could entertain you for a long time. But that is not the point. The point is, if the preaching is going to be powerful, it must be less about the human and it must ultimately be about eternity. Martin Luther said it this way, he preaches best who aims at being understood rather than being admired. Self-promotion and biblical preaching are enemies. I was watching a, a conference on the internet once and they had all these famous preachers on there, you know, the big, the big guns. And on this panel, they were asking these guys questions about how to be successful as a pastor. And on that panel, there was one guy who's, he's a professor, but he's also pastoring a church and his church runs about 150, 160 and they got to this guy who has written several books, by the way. And they got to him and said, what do you think? He said, brothers, this thing right here is dangerous. Where we are promoting men as the means by which a church grows. This is dangerous. I don't ever want to have part in one of these things again. He was smart. He understood. It's if it's built on the human personality, it's a house of cards. 
If it's built upon the preaching of God's word, it will stand. And so Paul says, if your method of preaching, if you want it to be powerful, it has to have these elements and it must avoid promoting any human being in the process. Now, what about the message of powerful preaching? He gives us that in verse 2. My guys back there, see, they're panicking because there are four points to this sermon. And they think if a three-point sermon is 45 minutes, dear God, how long will a four-point one go? But gentlemen, just hang in there with me. We're good. Barry's even standing. He's, he's like, God, help us. So, so what is the message of powerful preaching Verse 2 says, this is it, here's the message. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There's your message. Do you want to know what's powerful? That message is powerful. That is the message that changes lives. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. To the Jew first, but also to the Gentile. It's that message that's powerful. If you think that you became a Christian by agreeing to moral reform, guess what? You're still on your way to hell. You you didn't get it. You missed it. If you think that, well, I'll just start going to church and I'll say, "Mm, okay, to church membership in order that I may, you know, make some improvements in my life and stop doing some ugly things. you, you, You missed it altogether. Because that may be part of the outcome. But the message that you missed is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the message that changes lives. And so here is the the message of powerful preaching. Paul says in, in short this. Preach about Christ. Preach about Christ. Jesus Christ. One of the things I do like. Sometimes those of you that are Sunday school teachers. Um, every once in a while in our Sunday school literature, you'll, get, you'll see me get on there and kind of gripe about something and tell you all be careful about this. And the author has just lost his mind on this part of the commentary. But here's one thing I do like about the Gospel Project. They always have this thing of how it circles back around to Christ. Every lesson. And if your Sunday school teacher is not doing that, y'all need to pray for them. And if that doesn't work, rebuke them. If that doesn't work, stone them down at the amphitheater. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. That's going to go on YouTube somewhere. I just stop, please. So, but, but again, what is the point here? What is the point of that? What was the point of your Sunday school lesson today? That there is a high priest who's coming who will not fail you. His name is Jesus. That was the point. All human priests fail. Every mediator fails. No one can stand in the gap between you and God. Only him. Preach about Christ. At first glance, it appears that Paul is, is saying, well, you know, uh, being anti-intellectual. Um, but, but what he's saying is, I want to refuse to mimic the human philosophers of Corinth. I'm not here to make this message palatable to you. In other words, he is going to avoid showmanship. He is going to avoid trying to impress people with his speaking skills. There is a reason for this. In this particular situation, Paul dared not cover the subject, which is Jesus, by using flashy methods and pragmatic practices. 
Sometimes in churches, we've used practices of, quote, evangelism as if evangelism justifies whatever method we want to use. And in that method, we cover Jesus up. In our thinking, well, they don't really want Jesus. So what we're going to do is kind of soft sell Jesus and make sure that they don't get too much Jesus because we don't want to run them off. Run them off from what? Run them off from what? what? What are you worried about? I was, I had a faith evangelism team one time and I was leading this team and these two people, they, they had never shared their faith ever in their whole life. And I promised them that I would never put them on the spot and, and all of that. So they agreed to be on my team. So the three of us. So it was a Sunday afternoon and, and we're walking, we had a, a place, the guy said, Hey, I think I know where somebody is that doesn't go to church. I said, okay, well, let's we'll drop by there. We had other assignments, but we'll drop by there. So this guy's out, post-hole digger, you know, and he's digging a hole for his mailbox. And, he's in. and so I, 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 you know, politely walk up and, and said, you know, sir, I know that you're, you're busy and I'm the pastor from the church here. And uh, I know that you're busy. Would, could you give me a minute or two? And um, he said, well, sure. And so he, he's, you know, kind of waiting. I don't want to take up too much of his time. He's trying to dig a hole to hell. I'm going to let him. And... Um, so I asked him a question about God. Well, man, he let out so many swear words. And, you know, a lot of those, you know, you ought not be said in polite company. And the lady that was on our team, she just blushed, you know. And so the guy on the team said to me, hey, Pastor, we better go. I said, go? Man, we got one here. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I was able to talk to this guy all the way through the gospel, even though he would swear after every line of it, and all the way through the gospel, and so we got back in the car and, and they said, well, what was that about? I said, y'all, a man that's mad about it is engaged. Don't, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And so this guy, you know, he eventually starts coming to church on his own. Just starts coming, you know. And, uh, and so I, I can't remember if he trusted Christ or not. But what I'm saying is I didn't try to hide anything from him. I could tell from line number one that he had some anger toward Jesus. But it's not time for me to say, you know, start going a different direction and make sure he doesn't get any worse. What, what, how, what, what am I trying to avoid here? Just preach Christ. Just tell him the truth about Jesus Christ. The message is always more important than the method. Some of you are waiting for a method for, before you share your faith. Don't worry about a method. Get to John 3.16 and explain it to somebody. If you can't do anything else, you can do that. My wife was talking with somebody about the Lord. She's been trained in every kind of evangelism method you could think of under the sun. And so just name one of them. She's had the course. And she said, you know, I got in there and I couldn't remember. And I started putting them all together. And I just went the Romans road. You know, just pick one. Just pick one. Just preach about Christ. And then Paul says powerful preaching is not just preach about Christ, but preach about the cross. You're not there to just tell people the smart, clever things that Jesus said. That's not preaching what Paul is talking about here. Of course, you want to relate to them the moral uh, impeccability of Christ. His sinlessness, his mercy, his grace, everything about his person. But if you skip the cross, you missed it. Jesus and him crucified. Explain that. Now, Paul is not saying this. He's not saying that he just preaches over and over and over and over again 
the historical facts about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That's not what he's saying. What he means is that he preaches those facts and then he explains the implication and importance of those facts. Christ crucified. Why? Because there is a God who is the king of the universe and we have rebelled against him and committed treason against him and been disloyal to him and hated him and we stand under judgment. And the judgment has already been set that the wages of sin is death every single time. And the Bible is full of stories of this. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. There is no hope, there is no escape for any single human on the face of the planet. There is no way out. Except God's Son lived a sinless life in the place of sinners. Went to the cross and received the punishment due to sinners. And if a sinner will turn from their sinfulness and self-centeredness and self-governance and will turn to Christ and put their complete faith and trust in Him for His death and also for His life, then that person will be rescued from the wrath of God. That's what it means when we preach Christ and Him crucified. So much preaching these days is an imitation of motivational speakers. I love those Geico commercials where the guy's trying to coach those people how not to be like their parents. Those things are so funny because they are so true. I find myself doing those things. You know, the one where you go in and he says, yes, the price of snacks are ridiculous. My, my wife and I do that every time. Why do we do that? Popcorn, $7 and a half here. And what do we do? We get the popcorn. I don't know why we discuss it. But we every time, can you believe how much a pop is? Good grief, it's highway robbery, you know. And so every time. And so I don't know why. And parking, where should we park? I don't know, that space looks like for compact. You know, it's just ridiculous. And, and so, you know, it seems like a lot of preaching is that kind of stuff to me. I, I hear it. I, I, I watch some of it a little bit every once in a while. As much as I can stomach, I listen to some sermons every once in a while. And, and here's what I hear. How to tame your teenager. How to hold up in a fold up world. I don't even know what that means. Andy Stanley had one of my favorite sermon series. He called it God in your bod. So what's he going to do? Preach six weeks on better health? Really? I mean, you know... Honestly, I mean, there's some of us that need to get that eating under control, right? We need a little more self-discipline. But I can't imagine a sermon series on that. I mean, I guess I could do it. But my question is, is that the heart of the gospel that people need from me that day? There was a recent interview with Elon Musk. He's in the news a lot now. And they ask him in this interview about his view of Jesus. And Elon Musk, who obviously is, he's a genius, but, but he also has some, I think, social issues that he has a hard time in society. And so they ask him, and he says, you know, things like... Um, yeah, I believe that Jesus is right. We'll have to turn the other cheek. 
uh, rather than eye for an eye. You know, he goes on and talks about some of the moral teachings of Jesus and all of that. And these three guys there who are Christians, they are so giddy because Elon Musk knows some bit of Scripture. And then they asked him the question about um, being saved. Do you know what that is? And so Elon Musk begins to talk about, in general, you know, God is uh, saving people. And uh, if God is doing that, then I'm not going to get in the way. He used the word saved. And the, the, the word saved. And these three Christian men who run a ministry began to giggle all over themselves and just said, he just said saved. I, I, think, I think we got one, don't you? And they all, in their mind, think that Elon Musk has trusted Christ. Why? Why are they thinking that? Because they are so addicted to some other kind of preaching and teaching rather than Jesus Christ and him crucified. They should have said to him, Mr. Musk, with all due respect, you're one of the biggest sinners we've ever met. If a man recoils from that, he's not ready for the gospel. It's the truth. He's one of the biggest sinners. We can say that about anybody, right? Even ourselves. But that's beside the point. He needs to be confronted. It doesn't mean be mean to him. You can still be respectful to him. But they missed an opportunity. They were so enamored with the personality and the money and all of those things that in that moment, Elon Musk was the celebrity in the room and Jesus was hidden in the closet. We must not do that. We must not do that on the platform and we must not do that in real life. Now, what about the messenger of powerful preaching? Verses 3 and 4. We've seen the method and the message. Now, here's the messenger in verses 3 and 4. And he says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. Now, let's think about this. What if somebody put that on their resume when they're applying for the job here at this church? What would you think? I'm weak, I'm fearful, and when I preach, I, I get scared. You'd be thinking to yourself, what kind of leader is that? And my speech and message are not with plausible words of wisdom. I'm not a very deep teacher, maybe. But what, what does he say? But in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. What would you rather have? What do you want? Do you want to preach your personality? Or do you want somebody who's going to preach in demonstration of the power of the Spirit of God? You have to decide. They're not always the same. They're usually not the same. A man who makes much of himself is going to make little of God. I promise you that. The messenger, he minimizes self. Verse 3, I was with you in weakness and fear and trembling. Paul says, no wonder. One wrong word and Paul could be executed. They said of Paul, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. John Chrysostom said of the three, in the 300s, now I don't know if he had first-hand knowledge of this in some way, but he said Paul, the apostle Paul, was about four feet ten, stooped over with a hump in his back, bad eyesight. Well, no wonder. 
countless beatings, near death more than once, whipped by the Jews with 39 lashes. They did that to him five times. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He was drifting in the sea a day and a half. That is terrifying. No wonder he was with them in weakness. This man had been beaten senseless. Paul illustrates this, that a weak preacher with the right message and dependence upon God is better than an eloquent preacher who trusts in himself. He minimizes himself. Sometimes we talk about people and we say, well, they have a great personality because they're very outgoing and talk about themselves constantly. You don't want that. You, you don't want someone who's thought is about himself constantly what does he do he minimizes self but he maximizes the spirit but in demonstration of the spirit and of and of power when the human ability is submitted to the master and there is no aim to promote self then the spirit can show out in that person's ministry i was reading a story of a preacher that preached really hard But when he finished his sermon, he messed it up and he felt a great sense of humiliation. He did a terrible job. If you don't think pastors ever preach terribly, I've done some bad sermons before that I was ashamed of. That was just awful. And he walks off the platform with his head down. And here's what one of the elders said to him. A wise man said to him, sir, if you had entered the pulpit the way you left it, then you would have left the pulpit the way you entered it. I was standing right there during the song singing and I was saying this to the Lord. Lord, I don't deserve to be preaching. And Lord, you know, I have no ability to do anything of eternal value. I I can't change people's hearts. I, I can't cause them to trust in Christ I can't even cause them to hear I can't do anything but if you'll take a broken vessel and if you will put your power on it then I will proclaim your message and we will just say that's enough for the day I am not anything he is everything When a man stands behind this desk, he better not be full of himself. Maximize the Spirit of God. Now, what is the motive of powerful preaching? He gives us this in verse 5. So that. Now, see, you probably think I'm really, really clever with this outline. But I really am not. Because how do I get the motive Where do I get that word? So that. It just tells the motive. That's all it does. What is the motive for doing it this way? Why why do it this way? Why not instead come with all of your sparkling speaking acumen? And why not come and just wow the people with all of the words that I can say and use why not come into... Well, I've, I've done this at church before because they were so arrogant. I preached from the Greek text for them. You guys think you know something? Here, have it. 
But why not do that all the time? Why not just tell you all the Greek words that I know and give you the definition every time? Why? Why not? There's a reason for this. You know what thrills my heart from this church? When I get a piece of paper from a five-year-old and they got the sermon. They draw it, but they got the topic. They got it. The idea here is that I know this well enough to make it simple. Now, it doesn't mean the concept we can always grasp. Sometimes I don't quite grasp it either. But you should be able to simply understand what is being said. And the motive for doing things this way is this reason. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's why you do it this way. That's why you're not trying to build a preacher cult. That's why I'm replaceable. Because it's not built on me. I've been telling you that from day one. God rescue us from the idolatry of thinking that a pastor is the one who makes it all work. It is God who does that. It is God. So that your faith, now he gives the negative expression of the motive. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men. That's the negative expression. So it won't rest in the wisdom of men. We convince people to put their faith in us rather than in the Lord Jesus. We're just stepping in the wrong place. And further, we're leading them to misplace their faith. The negative, we don't want... Your faith to rest in the wisdom of people. We don't want that. I don't want your faith to rest in me. That's wrong. We don't want that. I don't mind being appreciated. Thanks. But I'm not the reason this church exists. I'm not the cause of its success the positive expression is this so that your faith will rest in the power of God we trust in him we don't trust in humans we don't trust in the method of preaching to make it work simple proclamation about a single person in the spirit's power that's what makes for powerful preaching A man that wants to preach topically. Now, it is possible to preach on a topic, but to do it expositionally, it is possible. So not all topical preaching is bad. If we need to talk about, if somebody said, well, what does this Bible say about the doctrine of hell? Then we just get the Bible and we collect some of those verses. But we say what the verse says. We don't just make stuff up as we go. So much preaching, if, if, I don't know if you can grasp this or not, but they are not doing what I just did and taking the words that are in this book and explaining that to you. They're coming up with a concept, you know, how to, you know, be a better surfer or whatever they're doing. And they read a little bit of scripture and then they just launch off on a series of stories. Bunch of stories, one after another, heartwarming stories. I feel like it's the Brothers Grimm or something. I don't know. Aesop's Fables. 
And story after heart-wrenching story, heart-tugging story, story, story. And then they give the invitation. And don't you want to be like little Luther in the story? And then they baptize them. That's what's going on. It's ridiculous. And, and so what gets me is that God's people, you've got to be discerning enough that you realize and recognize what's going on. You've got to discern. And just because somebody opens the book and talks about it doesn't mean they're preaching it. You've got to preach it. And what, what does the Bible say? The Bible says there's a method, there's a message, there's a messenger, and then there's a motive. And all of those need to be aligned if there is to be powerful preaching. If you want to know how to preach, the Bible tells you. If you want to know what a preacher ought to be, the Bible tells you. So let me say one more time. If you're trusting in yourself to be right with God, you're foolish. Christ is your way out. If you've never trusted him for salvation from the wrath of God, this is your day. I want to offer a word of prayer. And uh, then we're going to observe the Lord's Supper together. And so if you would, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your precious word. Thank you that you give us clarity about these things. Thank you, Father, that we don't have to guess. Lord God, I pray that you raise up a powerful preacher in my place. One that would take this sacred book, stand behind this sacred desk with fear and trembling. Display his weakness so that the power of Christ might be evident. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.